Trinity Central. We exist to make God central to our lives and our world. You are listening to a recording of one of our Sunday messages. For more information, please go to trinitycentral.org. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Um, We have so much to be grateful for, don't we? When we come to gift day, uh, it's a, a day of celebration that we get to give, but really it's a day of celebration of what God has given to us. And, um, you, you know, this, this week has probably been one of the harder uh, preparation times for me in terms of uh, preparing for a message. I uh, uh, sat down on Friday morning with a clear calendar to, to spend on the message, and I think I spent most of that day uh, talking with people about flights and trying to work out how to get uh, Sarah, thank you, Sam, Sarah and Liesl out of, um, out of South Africa, where they're currently, uh, for those of you who don't know, they flew out last weekend to go and see parents uh, Liesel in Johannesburg and Sarah in Durban, and uh, and then the on Thursday night the variant came out and um, well <clears throat> they're stuck. Uh, BA cancelled their flights, and then we got a flight through Dubai, and uh, then yesterday morning that was cancelled, and uh, so we don't really know what's going to happen over the next while. But I was thinking about that, and I I just want to say thank you so much uh, to you for your support and your prayers. Uh, I think my overwhelming sense as I come this morning is a sense of gratitude. Um, Ten years ago, we moved with a dream in our heart to see a church planted here and to see uh, a family, uh, something born, something birthed, and over those 10 years, God has given us friends, God has blessed our family, God has changed people's lives, and we've had the joy of walking in the middle of that. Uh, We've seen God do amazing things like providing, uh, just even as Sam has shared, uh, and many other uh, situations where God's provided supernaturally. We've had the joy of seeing people uh, meet one another and get married and kids being born and just the joy. Uh, As I look back over the last 10 years, there's so much joy in what God has given to us. And I know that if Sarah was here this morning, um, she would be uh, just expressing that same sense of gratitude and joy and what God has done. And so, so we come immensely grateful today for what God has done. And uh, as I was finding it hard, hard to prepare on Friday, and uh, eventually I went paddling in the afternoon. I thought, blow this. I, I just cannot get my head into this. I'm going to get out on the water and go, go, go and kayak for a bit. And uh, then Saturday morning, I sat down, and, and then the Emirates flight was canceled, and I lost Saturday morning, and uh, was increasingly feeling that pressure of, Lord, I know I need to be able to stand up and say something. I had something in my heart. I had something that I would felt God had spoken to me about, but I just did not seem to be able to get it out of my head 
and into some form that I could uh, speak from. And, um, and yet I really feel that today is a significant day, that God is doing something. I, I think among us as a church, among, uh, there's, there's lots of need among us. We've been grappling with God in terms of the, the questions around healing, praying, God, would you break in? We, there, there have been lots of other ways that we've been experiencing challenge, not just in terms of healing, but other people and families in the church. And then beyond that, in our wider context, we think about the summer and the heat wave, uh, heat waves and then the fires and now the floods and the impact of all of that on our broader community. Uh, it's a challenging day. And then uh, you add on top of that all the stuff that has been uh, going on for the last two years in terms of COVID and lockdowns and the challenges for small business owners and, and the challenges that uh, we in the church are feeling, but also those beyond the church are feeling. And, and there's a sense of, okay, God, what are you doing? Uh, you're allowing a lot to happen. You're allowing a lot to, to happen. What, what is it that you, how do you want us to respond what do you want us to be busy with? What should we be putting our hands to that you might be glorified? I was just struck, uh, Jarrett, bringing the, the names of Jesus this morning, and then um, Jess speaking about the glory of God. Uh, and this cry, this cry in my heart, God, show us your glory. Show us your glory. Let us be a people of your glory. That's what we long for. In June, we coined this phrase, we're the people of God, in the presence of God, empowered for the mission of God, all for the glory of God. That's who we are. That's, that's probably the best summary I could come up of Trinity Central. We're the people of God, in the presence of God, empowered for the mission of God, all for the glory of God. And that's probably the best summary I could come up with of the church through the nations, through the ages, through the rest of our city. And so over this last little while, we've, we've talked about justification. We've talked about the fact that uh, our lives are hidden with God from that moment we put, we, we put our trust in Jesus, that our sin is taken off us, is placed on Jesus and that His righteousness, it's not just that our slate is wiped clean, it's that His righteousness is put on me. I stand before God as if I'd never sinned. Hallelujah. I'm justified by faith through grace. It's just an incredible thing that happens. And then we've talked about the fact that we go on in sanctification, that, that there's this, these three elements to salvation. The, the first element is, I am saved, I'm justified. And we've talked about the fact that we're, we're being sanctified, we're being saved. This righteousness that is ours is now beginning to work through our lives. It's increasingly becoming evident. Uh, others are beginning to be able to see, wow, you're different. You, you look different. You behave differently. You speak differently. You live your life with a faith that, uh, that is uncommon, that you, you seem to trust God uh, in ways that, that, that don't seem congruent with our culture and, and those around us. You, you are leaning into God and you're relating to God in a way that is, uh, 
that speaks to the existence of God and the goodness of God and the favor of God. And then we know that there's a third part to our salvation. Uh, there is, we are saved, we're being saved, and we will be glorified. We will be saved. On that final day when the trumpet sounds and Jesus returns, we will rise to be with Him and we will be glorified. New resurrection bodies, that righteousness that Jesus has poured into our hearts will be fully displayed. We will be perfect, perfected in Him. Hallelujah. This is our destiny. This is what God has for us. It's eternal. It's glorious. It's wonderful. Paul says these light and momentary troubles that we experience in this world. Friends, there are people among us who have experienced very difficult things and they don't feel light and momentary. But when we are standing with Him in glory, when we encounter Him in that way, it will be light and momentary. We will look back and say, surely the goodness of God is so much more beautiful, so much more powerful, so much more extravagant than we could have ever imagined. And so our suffering pales into insignificance when we see His goodness and we're with Him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Ash, for the encouragement. You're all welcome to, to get behind it because you're welcome to get behind it because it's true. It's true. It's what we live for. It's what God's done in us. That we who were once dead in our sin are alive in Jesus Christ. And so as we've been talking, our main focus has been the sanctification process. We're forgiven. This is what repentance looks like. This is what our new identity in Christ is. If you don't understand, you're loved by God. You don't get it. Okay? You don't understand who you are. If you live out of a desire for significance, or if you live out of a, a, a desire for wealth, or if you live out of all of these other things, you end up totally and utterly, utterly missing it and living in anxiety and living in stress and living in difficulty because you have not got your identity grounded in who Jesus says you are. And your value doesn't come from what you have or what you accomplish or who your friends are or, or how many followers you have on Facebook or Instagram or whatever else. Your value comes because the Father says, I love you so much that I'm going to send my son on your behalf in your place to carry your burdens. And, and friends, can I just say, in our Western world now, we spend so much time struggling because we have not sorted that fundamental thing down. We, we, we go around saying, well, if God really loved me, my wife wouldn't be stuck in South Africa. If God did, really loved me, so-and-so would be healed. If God really and, and what we do is we begin to use the stuff around us to measure the love of God. And we say, surely this wouldn't, surely this wouldn't be happening if God loved me. And we're missing it completely, 100%. We need to go back to the cross and we need to say, this is what my life is built on. This is the truth that I stand on. This is the rock that my feet are placed upon. And from there, everything else happens. From there is where I operate. And now I deal with sickness. And now I deal with challenges in the family, and now I deal with financial difficulty, and now I deal with my small business and, and COVID, and now I deal with all these other things, but it's based on the fact that Jesus Christ has paid for my sin, and that is the measure of His love for me. 
And now I'm secure in that. And now I can walk in it and live in it and know the grace of God in every moment of my life, whether everything seems to be going great or whether it seems to be really difficult. I'm bedded in this. And, and, and Jesus, in Jesus, your life matters. But, but the problem is that our lives only end up being useful to God when we nail this down, when we're clear in our identity, when we begin to step into the things that God has for us rather than the things that the culture tells us we need or our own uh, sinful flesh tells us, this is what makes you great. This is what makes you successful. This is, this is what you should be giving yourself to. It's only when we get we are in Him, we are loved, this thing is our ground that we become useful for God. And God has purpose for your life and for my life. And I, I, I want to speak to us this morning that it's not just the way you, uh, you understand your own purpose, but building on that, what also really matters is how you understand God's heart and purpose for His church. How you view the church really matters. Now, we understand the church as God's people, okay? Hopefully, if you've been around Trinity Central for any length of time, you know that we understand the church to be the people of God. Uh, but in our culture, people think of the church as a building. They say things like, I'm going to the building. I'm going to the church. I'm going to church. And what they're speaking about is a place, Right, Dave Cousins told me a wonderful story about Arnold, who James was, uh, was um, quoting last week. Uh, somebody phoned up. They had this beautiful synagogue that uh, the church had bought as their kind of gathering place and where all the ministry that they were uh, do, involved in was going from. And somebody phoned up and said, I'd like to, I'd like to rent the church uh, for my wedding. And Arnold said, what, you want all of them? You want to rent all of them? And the person was a bit, you know, what, what, what do you mean? Well, I mean, there's like, I don't know, 100, 250 of them. And you want them all at your wedding? Now, obviously, he needed to explain what he was really saying. But, well, uh, you know, that was partly Arnold's sense of humor. Um, but he was making the point, listen, the church is not the building. The church is the people. We can also think of the church as an organization. And this, I think, is what our Christian subculture tends to do. Is we tend to see it as a, as a place I attend. That's the kind of language we use. Where do you attend? Now, that's not biblical language. You can't attend what you are. You can't attend what you are becoming in that sense. You can't uh, attend a people. You can only attend a meeting. God's Heart is not for a meeting, it's for a people. And so the church as a biblical expression is way, way more complex. It's a people, it's described as a body, it's described as a family, the God's household, it's described as a bride, about to, a beautifully adorned, about to be married to her husband, beautiful, spotless, radiant bride. This is what the church is, uh, an army. Uh, a, a, a people together on mission, caught up. There's structure, there's rank, there's fire, there's clarity. 
about what our mission is, about who we are together, about how we work together. And then this other example, which is the one I want to just focus in on, is a temple for God to dwell in. We're God's temple. Now, I don't know whether that, you, you know, when I say that, I don't know what your reaction to that is. What does that mean? Are, are we back into buildings? Are we back into... Well, I'm going to give a little bit of context. I'm going to dive into a prophet, and then we're going to celebrate gift day. That's where we're going. This is the context. Eden was the first temple. God created this beautiful, beautiful garden. And he took Adam and he took Eve, man and woman, and he put them in the garden. And he said, I want you to enjoy and eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden, except for one tree. You're not to touch that fruit, but every other tree. You're to eat the fruit and enjoy it. And you're to rule over this place. You're to cultivate it. And day after day, God came. And he walked with them in the cool of the afternoon. I wonder whether you can just imagine for a moment. Just try and transport yourself outside of a world with sin and shame and uh, pain and broken relationships. I wonder whether you can almost just for a moment try and Imagine a world where none of those things exist and where people in, uh, are, are totally vulnerable. There's a, a nakedness that's not just physical, but it's, there's this nakedness emotionally and intellectually where there's such a sense of openness, not only to one another, but God comes and walks with them. And this is pre the incarnation, somehow God walked with them before he had a human body. Before any of that was the case, he came and he walked with Adam and Eve in the garden and he knew them and they communed with him and they talked and they laughed and they enjoyed one another. There was this depth of intimacy. There was this hilarity, this effervescence of relationship with God. They knew him as it were face to face. What Jess quoted that we couldn't know right now in our current situation, they knew him that way, face to face. And that was the first, ta- the first temple. That was this dwelling place with, of God with man. God's intention when he made us was always to dwell with us. It was always to be with us, not to be apart from us, not to be this God that we refer to in the third person, not to be this one who kind of winds up the clock and just sets it in motion and let's see what happens. His heart was to to draw a people together and to live with them. That's always been God's purpose. And of course we know that what happened was that Adam and Eve chose to rebel. They chose something else. They said, no, we're going to go our own way. We will eat the fruit that you've forbidden. We'll do what we want to do. And in the moment of doing that, this beautiful, open, vulnerable, intimate relationship with God was absolutely torn, irrevocably torn, broken. And the incredible thing 
is that God, in that moment, rather than saying, I'm going to wipe you out and I'm going to start again. He said, this is how much I love you. I'm going to put a plan in place through the ages whereby I will bring you back into relationship with me and I will eventually dwell with you again. And so, as we jump forward, God calls Abraham. He says, I'm going to make you into a mighty nation and I'm going to bless you and I'm going, through you, I'm going to bless all nations. And then when that they go into Egypt and they emerge out of Egypt, out of slavery in Egypt in, as this mighty nation. And they come into the wilderness and, and, and God begins to speak to them. God begins to work in them. And one of the first things he does, and, and, and I just want you to, to think about this for a moment. God spends one verse in Genesis 1 verse 1 describing the creation of the heavens and the earth. He spends 15 chapters describing the tent of meeting that he wants them to build for him. Fifteen chapters. That might tell you how important that tent of meeting was. Why was that tent of meeting important? Because God loves tents? <laughs> no. <laughs> You're right to laugh. He does. It's not that God loves tents. It's that God wanted to dwell in the middle of his people. And so every time Israel moved, they packed up his tent and they carried it with him and then they pitched it again when they pitched and right in the center of the nation, God had a dwelling. Of course, he was hidden from them. He was in the tent. He couldn't be seen in that sense because of his glory. And yet still, he wanted to be among them. And so, so we, they come into the promised land. David becomes king. David says, it's not right that I dwell in this magnificent palace and that you, O oh God, uh, are still living in a tent. I want to build a palace, a glorious palace, a temple for you to dwell in, in the middle of our nation, in, in Jerusalem. And God says to him, you've got blood on your hands. You're not going to be the one who's going to build the temple for me, but your son Solomon will. And so David makes these mighty plans. He, he gets together incredible resources. Solomon comes, builds the temple. And on the day of inauguration of the temple, God moves in. The glory of God fills the temple so much that the priests are literally unable to minister. They're on their faces before God. God's glory fills the temple. And all Israel sees God is with us. God's among us. God loves us. God's for us. We're his people. Now, of course, we know that Israel didn't do very well in following God. And so God sent prophets warning them, Hey, return to me. Return from your idolatry. Come back. Or I'm going to allow you to be judged by another nation and carried off into exile. And, and largely the attitude was, there's no way God will allow this to happen to us. There's no way. We've got the temple. We've got this, we, we've got this building in our midst that God owns. And in the year 587, the Babylonians invaded. They destroyed the temple. They tore it down. They destroyed Jerusalem. They left it in ruins. But even then, even at this lowest moment in Israel's history, the prophets came and they said, in just a short while, 
God's going to bring a remnant back and you're going to rebuild. You're going to rebuild Jerusalem. You're going to rebuild the temple. Seventy years later, Darius of Persia, he's now emperor. He allows the return of exiles to Jerusalem and Judea. And they come and they're intent on rebuilding the temple, this dwelling place for God. But quickly tensions arise between them with the other inhabitants of the land, work on the temple stalls. And uh, they find that they're no longer doing the thing that they were intending on doing. And so God sends a prophet, a man by the name of Haggai. And Haggai comes to them. And uh, this is what it says in Haggai 1 verse 1. In the second year of Darius the king, the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Is it a time for you, to, you, for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You've sown much and harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but you never have your full. You clothe yourselves but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I've called for a drought on the land and on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what bring, the ground brings forth on man and beast and on all their labors. These are strong words. You live in your paneled houses while my house lies in ruins. And this is why you continue to struggle. It's important that we feel the gravitas of God's heart to have a dwelling place among his people and that he would be able to be known and discovered. So God shows them such mercy by sending the prophet to them and saying, hey, you're experiencing judgment. You're experiencing something because you're not being faithful. You're not gathering or you're not putting priority on the house of the Lord, on my dwelling place. You're not putting priority on the fact that I am your God and I am your safe place. I'm your gathering point. I'm the one that, that draws your heart. So I want you to come back to me. Come that I might dwell with you. Now, friends, I think there are many ways in which we can see that the church today is similar, that it's broken down, that, that there's restoration that needs to happen. There are so many Christians who express very little hunger for God, taking time to, to really give themselves to prayer and worship. It's, it's endemic across the Christian world. A lack of hunger for God, a lack of desire. I just can't wait to be in your presence. I can't wait. You know, we're time checking. <laughs> we're, we're, I, I just come to sing a few songs. I, prayer meeting, oh, no, I won't go to that. 
The church is seen as an irrelevance in our culture. All too often when it's presented in shows on television or in movies, it's the butt end of the joke. Increasingly, the church is uh, embracing the agendas of sexual and gender confusion that we find in our culture. So many Christians seem more interested or concerned about politics and vaccines and masks and who is ruling and what they're choosing than they are with Jesus and his life-transforming mission. Many so-called churches are led by people who don't even believe in Jesus, for whom it's some kind of career thing. God is looking for a holy people, a people unto the Lord, a dwelling place for his name. When we planted Trinity, this is what our hearts burned with. We longed for a dwelling place for God in our city, not a building, a people, a people who are full of the Spirit, full of God's heart. And God is building a temple here on earth, here in Vancouver, in which He will dwell and from which He will bless and save many. And brothers and sisters, I believe that God is calling on us to be involved in the restoration of His church, in building the temple and seeing God's house glorious and beautiful. And I'm not talking about a building, a physical building. I'm talking about us. I'm talking about a people for his name, a people for his possession, that which he would say, you are mine and I am yours. That's God's heart. That's God's passion among us. He saved us to make us into a people. Not that you might have a slightly better life than you had beforehand. Maybe the Spirit is prodding you today and saying, do other things get your first attention? Or do I and my house get the dregs? Have you lost your first love? Do you prioritize worship and my presence? Or has that become an optional extra? I wake up in the morning on a Sunday. I'm not sure whether I'll go. I might just watch on the stream. I don't know whether I'll be part of, of the gathering. Hey, we're a people together. We can't, now, I'm not dissing the stream. The stream's been uh, so helpful to us. It's served us so well over the last two years. And for those who are unable to get to the meeting, great. Enjoy the stream. But let's understand we're a, we're a people together. We come not just to be served, but to serve one another, to love, to be caught up in mission, to be sent from here into our offices, into our world, that we might be temples in our workplace, that we might be those that God has put His Spirit on, that the world might be changed around us. Come on, people. Come on. Now, the great thing is they respond. And so they start building, and, and, and Haggai's word speaks to them. Zerubbabel and Joshua roll up their sleeves. They begin to build, and, uh, and, and obedience is found in the people. It's amazing. But soon discouragement sets in. Uh, soon those who are, uh, were alive... 70 years before, and saw the glory of Solomon's temple and are beginning to see what we're building, like it just doesn't match up. I mean, do you remember? Do you remember what it was like? Do you remember Solomon's temple? It was covered in gold on the inside. It was magnificent. We had the cedars of Lebanon. We, we had the stones cut. And not, not a tool was even heard on, on the work site. It was an incredible endeavor. And we're going to get this piddly little thing. This is it. This is it. 
And so once again, God sends Haggai to them with a message. He says, in the seventh month, on the 20th, uh, 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of all the people, and say, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasure of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts, and in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Wow, what an incredible promise. Listen, don't despise the smallness of what you're involved in. Don't despise it. Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Even if it doesn't look like what you hoped it would look like. Don't measure things that way. Look to God. Look to the promises. Say, our God is able. Our God is glorious. He wants to fill us with his presence. Here we go. We're after this. I remember getting an email one morning soon after we started planting Trinity Central from some well-meaning person. And they said, uh, look what this other church in the valley is doing and how they're growing. <laughs> oh, man alive. It's like this wave of discouragement washed over me. Oh, I might as well just give up. And uh, I shared it with a wise leader who just simply said to me, he said, when you stand before Jesus in glory, he's not going to ask you how you compared with others. He'll ask you whether you were obedient to what he asked you to do. That's the measure. The measure isn't what was in the past. The measure isn't what other people are doing. The measure is what did Jesus ask of us? Trinity Central, what did Jesus ask of us? What is Jesus asking of us? He wants us to be a dwelling place for God. Number one priority. See, it's so easy to make church about people. We come because it's a community. We come because of friendship. And these things are good. They come out of what it means to be a dwelling place for God. But it's not primary. It's, it's, it's a result of what God does when He dwells among us. So our prioritization must be God Himself. It must be setting our faces towards Him and coming with expectation of His breaking out among us. Be strong. Yet now, be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak. Be strong, all you people of Israel, of the land. Work, for I am with you. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. Maybe in this season, as Sam was talking about, negotiating COVID, all that stuff, 
has left you feeling disoriented, disconnected, don't stay there. Don't stay there. Reconnect. Build in. See, there's something that God is doing in terms of building a temple. See, as we, as we move forward, we see that Jesus, the, the Pharisees come to him and they say, show us the sign. Prove, prove you're the Messiah. Show us the sign. Jesus says, okay, I'll show you a sign. This temple, now Herod had built a new temple, and it was incredible. In fact, he'd, clothed it, he'd, he'd put gold on the outside of the temple so that when, and of course, the Middle East gets a lot of sun, the, 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 there would be incredible reflection off the temple. Wherever you looked at it from, it would, it would be blindingly radiant because of the gold that coated the outside of the temple. And that's why when Jesus prophesied that not a stone would remain in place, what happened was when the Romans burned Jerusalem, they literally lifted stone after stone because the gold melted and ran down. And so they literally dismantled it stone by stone to get at that gold. Jesus said, I will destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. And they scoffed at him. They said, there's no way. This temple took decades to build. And there's no way you're going to do that. And of course, they totally missed the point. The whole point was, I am doing something new. I am This place, this place that Haggai was prophesying about, this place that the people were rebuilding was going to be the place where Jesus inaugurated a new covenant and people would come into true peace with God. Where all the nations, where the treasure of the nations, all the gold is mine, all the silver is mine, but it's not just the treasure, it's not just the gold and the silver, it's the people that are the treasure. The people are the treasure. The nations, I'm going to shake the nations and the people will come. There is a shaking going on right now. And God is going to bring people from every nation into his dwelling place. Jesus was not looking for another building. Jesus was looking for a people, a spiritual building. This is why in 1 Peter 2 verse 4, we read this. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. That's what you are, church. In the sight of God, you are chosen. He has marked you out. He said, I'll have you. I'll have you. I'll have you. I'll have you. I'm bringing you in. You're chosen and you're precious to him. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You're being built together. Living stones, a dwelling place for God. Isn't it unbelievable? Wow, we get to be part of this. We get to build. Bless and build. Bless and build. This is what God's called us to. And it's been such a joy to see God's blessing on us and through us. And it's been such a joy to see what God has built. But I tell you, it's a new day. There's more building to do. There's sleeves to be rolled up. There's, come on, be strong. Come on, be strong. My spirit is with you. I'm with you. There's building to be done, church. Sure. 
Last year, the context of our gift day was the pandemic. Many people were struggling in all kinds of different ways. And this year, as we come to gift day again, it still feels very challenging. The shadow of the pandemic still looms large. Talked about the heat waves and the floods. Our own church family battling with different things. In our own personal situation, experiencing this challenge with family being far across the world, unable to return home. But I think gift day is all the more special in moments like this. Moments where life isn't straightforward or easy or comfortable. It's all the more wonderful on a day like today to be able to put our hand into God's hand, to choose to trust Him and to give sacrificially. And what we're doing here, friends, we're giving money, but we're giving our lives. That's what we're really offering today. We're not just giving our money. John Wesley said, show me a man's wallet and I'll show you his heart. I'll show you his priorities. It's so true. I want to challenge you with that. You know, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body given for you. He was about to offer up his body in sacrifice for us so that we might become a body joined together, ligaments and skeleton and muscles. God was going to do something magnificent. And so today, as this local expression of the body, as a local expression of God's temple, we get to experience God's presence We get to break bread together. We get to celebrate. We get to give. There's such joy in this room. There's such joy as we came into worship this morning. It's so amazing. I just want to say, so what what we're going to do is, a band, if you guys could come up. We're going to sing, and the kids are going to come back in. And then we're going to invite you to come down and to take communion and to to sing and to share it with somebody. And next to the uh, communion tables, you'll see two um, sort of boxes, buckets. Uh, you can throw your, uh, your envelopes in there. You know what I'd love to do is I'd love to encourage every single person here to throw an envelope in there, whether you've put a gift in it or not, because the giving is between you and the Lord. And we don't want anyone to feel under any compulsion to give, but we do want everyone to be able to celebrate what we're doing here today. And so if you don't want to give today, we want to say to you, there is, in fact, we don't want you to give if you don't want to give. We'd encourage you to get before God, to search your heart. But we don't want to encourage, we don't want to put any sense of pressure on anyone to give. God is a lavish giver and he says, hey, I'm going to give to you anyway. I'm going to love you anyway. And we want you to be part of us anyway. We're so glad that you're here and participating. So grab an envelope, whether you're putting anything in it or not, put it in the bucket, come and celebrate communion. Let's enjoy God together and let's go from this place and build what God has asked us to build. Let's be family. Let's, hey, we need a bunch more life group leaders. We need a bunch more people serving. There's so much to be done. Let's step into that. You with me? Why don't we stand up? Why don't we stand up? Yeah. Okay. I'll I was just reading this, this, this week about how the guys came to David and uh, they said to him, we're with you, David. 
And uh, David said, hey, are you really with me or have you come as a, is this a trap? And they said, no, we're in completely. And uh, I just feel like there's that sense in us this morning. I want to encourage you just for a moment, just lift your hands to God. And if this is true of your heart, just say to him, we're with you. I'm with you. Just lift your hands up. Let's put your hands up high, church. This is a time to be extravagant. This is a time to express boldly. I'm with you. I'm with you. We're with each other. We're together in this. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Let's sing a song of celebration, guys. <laughs>